Good morning. It is so good to see you. Um, I want to welcome you back to worship in this house. And if you're worshiping online, it's good to see you too. I see you. Um, my name is Jennifer Kenny. I'm the director of Family Ministries. And yes, that was me um, in the UPC Kids video. I have to laugh because last week, Polly was in the video and she preached. This week, I'm in the video and I'm finding myself preaching. So if we ask you to participate in UPC Kids, you better be ready. <laughs> I should also say that I am not the Reverend T.G. Murphy Santiago. Pastor T.G., who leads our side-by-side -side ministry, was scheduled to preach today. And like you, I was looking forward to hearing from her. But T.G.'s family, um, T.G. and her family really need our prayer. Her father's health is failing, and she needed to attend to him this week. So on Tuesday, Pastor Aaron gave me a phone call and said, hey, what are you doing on Sunday? Can you preach? And I said yes, um, partly because Pastor Aaron did the same for me under the exact same circumstances last summer. So I think I owed him one, and um, I would ask for you to pray for me as well this morning. So let's begin our worship um, in prayer. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we invite your presence here with us today, wherever we may be worshiping you. We ask that you would bring to life the message that you would have for us. We pray also for T.G. and her family. Surround them with your holy presence. Comfort them, Lord. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing to you, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, this morning we will continue in the sermon series that Pastor Aaron has been leading us through this summer called, I See You, the God Who Sees. And I don't know about you, but this sermon series couldn't come at a more appropriate time. My soul each week has really benefited from the word. Today's sermon is entitled, I See the Wounded. And we heard the scripture read from Phil from the book of Matthew. And in a minute, I will read the same passage to you from the book of John. And I want us to look closely at this intimate encounter between Mary and Jesus. Hear now from the book of John, chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. God's holy word. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave him a dinner. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you do not always have me. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I would like us to focus on this scene. I want us to slow it down and let's draw up a chair and put ourselves into the eyewitness seat. This passage ignites our senses. What do you see? What do you hear? And what do you smell? How would you react? Let me set the stage for what will precede the most significant week in human history, Holy Week. Earlier in John, chapter 11, verse 57, we read that an arrest warrant had been issued for Jesus. The chief priests and Pharisees have ordered anyone who found out where Jesus was should report it so that they might arrest him. We also know that it's the week before Passover and Jerusalem is overflowing with people. And these aren't just the Jerusalem Jews. No, the Jews from, have come from far and wide to celebrate. Cestius, the governor of Palestine, Palestine, wished to convince Nero of the importance of the Jews and therefore had requested that priests count the number of Jews in the city for Passover. We know that 256,500 lambs were slain for Passover. And at that time, there was a minimum of 10 people per lamb. But the historian Josephus points out there could have been at least 20 people in a group. So Josephus estimated that there were around 2,700,000 in Jerusalem. Now that's a big crowd. Where's Carl when I need him? The city was overflowing and the inns were full. Bethany is a town in a village, is a village about two miles outside of Jerusalem. And it's likely that Bethany served as the overflow. It's also the town and the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. You'll remember that a few weeks earlier, Mary and Martha pled Jesus for Lazarus' life. And Jesus, in his own time, miraculously raised Lazarus from the dead. Our scripture today opens with a celebration meal, a banquet. We are in the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Jesus and the disciples join Lazarus to celebrate his new lease on life. Jesus profoundly and personally demonstrated his power over death in Lazarus, which would then powerfully foreshadow Jesus' own death and resurrection. I imagine a bustling dinner party. Martha is doing what Martha does best. She has prepared a meal, she's serving her guests, the house is full, it's Passover season. Nothing could be better. Jesus is the guest of honor, but so too is Lazarus. They're seated together, and the disciples and the others recline for the meal and the evening ahead. Can you hear the laughter? The laughter around glasses of wine and stories of Jesus' miracular, miraculous ministry. The stories of friendship that have developed over the past three years. Wow, look at Lazarus. 
He looks great, so alive and so healthy. What a miracle. I wonder what was in the mind of our hosts. Do you think Mary, Martha, and Lazarus discussed the risk involved in hosting such a party? Did Mary have real insight that Jesus was headed toward his immediate death? Were the disciples anxious about being in such a public place so close to Jerusalem? An arrest warrant, something that they had feared had been issued for the life of Jesus. And yet, the joy of Jesus' presence and the joy of Lazarus kept the celebration going. And suddenly, without warning, an intense fragrance captures the attention of the dinner party. A scent which reeks of luxury and sweetness. This scent breaks through the noise and arrests conversation. What was that smell? The attention of all finds its source. Glasses are set down. The storytelling subsides. What is happening? Our noses turn our heads toward Jesus. And what's that? It's Mary at Jesus' feet. She's broken open the alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. It's her precious lifetime supply of nard. The sweet smell is overwhelming the room. Look at her face. The look of love, the friendship, the adoration. Now what is she doing? She's unbound her long hair and is spreading the perfume on Jesus' feet. The silence and the smell overwhelm the once joyous room. Silence as everyone watches this display of extravagance. In a spontaneous moment, Mary broke several social norms and she finds herself at the foot of Jesus under the scrutiny of the men surrounding her. You see, a woman's hair was never unbound in public. A woman's hair is her crown. It's a gift for her husband. Unbound hair in public was the sign of an immoral woman, a disgrace. And there she was at his feet, his dirty, well-traveled feet. Culturally, a Jew's feet were cleaned only by non-Jewish slaves or servants. It was not the task of another Jew. What was Mary doing? Was she washing Jesus' feet with the perfume and with her hair? So much scandal. One writer wrote, Mary took the most precious thing she owned and spent it all on Jesus. Love is not love if it calculates the cost. It gives its all and its only regret is that it has not still more to give. This expensive, rare, anointing oil likely came from India and the amount Mary used was worth a year's income. 
Nard was sweet-smelling and reserved for the anointing of kings. It was also used as perfume to properly prepare a Jewish body for burial. Did Mary know what she was doing? As Mary stoops to anoint Jesus' feet, we see her take on a posture of humility as she acknowledges and anoints Jesus as king. Her humble position and decision to anoint his feet recognize her understanding of his lordship. You see, only priests and royalty anointed the head. Her act goes beyond the cleaning of his feet as the smell announces royalty is in our presence. Without a word, Mary declares Jesus as king. In his book, The Mind of Jesus, William Barclay writes, love put into the world a fragrance which time cannot obliterate. A lovely deed is not only a thing of the moment, it leaves something in the world which time cannot take away. Barclay continues, love knows well that there are certain moments in life which come and which do not return. There were endless and limitless opportunities to help the poor. But if that woman had not seized that moment to make known her love to Jesus, the opportunity would never have come again. The sight of Mary wiping a man's feet with her unbound hair, the strong, unforgettable smell of expensive perfume was too much. F.F. Bruce writes, The shock of what they must have seen likely caused a brief, embarrassed silence, which was broken by one voice. What are you doing? Judas interrupts this beautiful act of love and Mary's declaration of Jesus as Lord and King by undercutting her motives. Interestingly, he does not confront her decision to unbind her hair or her decision to wash his feet. No, he greedily confronts Mary's decision to use the expensive perfume. What are you doing? Why are you wasting this expensive oil? Don't you see the poor among us? Don't you know how much good we could have done? Judas plays on the Jewish command to care for the poor. He tries to use Jesus' practice of compassion to redirect Mary's attention away from Jesus. Judas interrupts Mary's worship. Judas distracts the room away from Jesus. Judas embodies the evil one who seeks to interrupt and distract our worship. The celebration, the joy of Lazarus' life, the presence of Jesus, all are forgotten. The room quiets, heads turn to Judas and back to Mary. We can almost feel the second guessing in the room. Maybe Judas is right. After all, I mean, he makes a really good point. We could use that money for the poor. Did Mary disgrace us all? A pint of nard was worth a year of a man's income. What a waste. 
And if you've ever served on a church finance committee, Judah's question is a common one. Can't this money be better used? But Judas's motive wasn't pure. He didn't really consider the needs of the community. He was knowingly hitting them in a soft spot. We learn in John 12, 6, that Judas was the treasurer for this ministry. He kept the money box, and he would help himself to its contents. He regularly stole the monies directed to the poor. Judas was imagining his own potential loss when he saw the nard poured out. Mary's gift should have landed in the money box in his control, he thought. But his confrontation cuts to Mary's soul. Was Mary in her vulnerable position of humility and worship, now the focus of embarrassing judgment and criticism? Did her cheeks flush with confusion, disappointment, embarrassment? Did Mary's racing heart return to the place of a wounded woman, a place where society had placed all women, serving but not speaking, second class, in the background, less than. Mary was being silenced, pushed to the side, a familiar confinement. Seeds of doubt may have filled her mind. <sighs> I made another mistake. I broke custom and they're disappointed in me again. I thought Jesus might be different. Judas' greedy question held the room. Why are you wasting? And then another voice broke the silence. Leave her alone. The gentle, loving, direct voice of Jesus. Commanding. Definitive. I can see his hand gently assuring her. His words were directed at Judas, but all could hear. Leave her alone. We've seen this before. Jesus defended the adulterous woman. And he said, if any of you is without sin, you may cast the first stone. Leave her alone. Mary, I see you. I see your wounds. I see your shame. I see your heart. I receive your worship. Jesus continues by affirming Mary's decision and actions. We read in Matthew 26 that he said, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured out this perfume on my body, she did to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Jesus does not dismiss Mary's actions. He does not ignore or minimize her presence. 
He doesn't say to Judas and the others, let's just forget this ever happened and move on. Nor does he say, you know Mary. She can be over the top sometimes. No, Jesus sees Mary. Jesus redirects Judas' greedy accusation back to the act of Mary's worship. Jesus affirms Mary's actions and decisions. He does not reduce her to shame. In fact, Jesus lets the room know that her devotion will forever be associated with his good news. He perpetuates Mary into the future. I can think of no greater way for Mary's dignity to be restored. I suspect that each of us hearing this today identify with different elements in the story. I know that each of us can likely identify with Mary's possible shame of maybe not getting it right. Or perhaps the fear of being overly demonstrative. Or the second guessing that often follows a risky impulse. We might identify with Mary's role as a woman, seen as second class, without a voice. At the heart of this story is the recognition that Jesus is Savior and worthy of our worship. Jesus sees our heart. We come to the feet of Jesus as wounded, longing to be seen, and he does see us. He receives our worship and our praise. We have no shortage of reminders that we are wounded. In fact, this week we've seen images of Afghan women protecting their children, worried about tomorrow. We've heard the cries of Haitian grandmothers, afraid to go inside, fearing that their building might collapse. Our wounded lie in ICU units, where doctors and tired nurses pray for an end to COVID. And in this room, we all bring wounds. Some of you might even be a recent widow. Sundays are especially hard. As some of my friends at the first service enter worship, they do so without the physical presence of their lifelong spouse, wounded as they approach Jesus. They're not alone, we're not alone. Some of us enter worship exhausted, disappointed, frustrated, longing for the simple, sweet aroma of the presence of Jesus. Jesus says, I see you. Well, Jesus' story continues the Jesus whom Mary anoints as king enters a bustling Jerusalem as a wanted man. Crowds form around him with a mixture of curiosity and conviction. Hosanna, they will shout. Did he really raise Lazarus from the dead, they wonder? Arrest him. Crucify him. He is risen. We know that by the end of the week, King Jesus would die on a cross, and then, indeed, he would conquer death by rising after three days. We know that in his dying act, 
he took on our wounds so that we might be made whole. He took on our shame, our embarrassment, our loss, our guilt, all of it. He took it upon his body so that we would not have to suffer eternal death. His body would bear our wounds, and by his wounds, we would be healed. Jesus, our Lord and King, accepts our worship. He smiled today at Ophelia's offering of dance. He, he smiled when he heard our voices sing and clap in song. He smiles at your presence here today in worship. The writer of Hebrews writes in, in uh, chapter 13, verse 15, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good or share with others, for with such sacrifice God is pleased. A couple of years ago, Kathy Lee Grifford and Nicole C. Mullins wrote a song called The God Who Sees. And if you've not heard it, I encourage you to Google it this week and, and listen. Through song, they tell of the number, numerous accounts throughout the Bible of occasions when God sees. I want to read to you the last stanza of their song. I'm the God who sees you in the wilderness, sees you in your brokenness. When you're feeling lonely, I'm the God who sees. In the desert places, in your empty spaces, I'm the God who sees. I'm nearer than you dare believe, here in the very air you breathe. I'm the God who sees you. Do you know the one who sees you? The one who saw the loving heart of Mary is available for you to know today. His invitation to you is as real as it was to Mary, Martha, and the countless friends of his day. He sees you where you are, and he invites your worship. If you haven't done so before, I would invite you to say yes to Jesus today. If you would like to say, I see the one who sees me, let him know. It's a simple prayer. And if you're here in this room today and would like to pray with somebody, I have got friends in the library just up the hall that would love to pray with you more. This church would love to come around you and help you know who is this person of Jesus. If you're worshiping online, you can go to a website, upc.org Jesus, and follow the links. Or you can send us an email. Let us know. We would love to pray with you. If you are sensing God's spirit knocking on the door of your heart, I invite you to let him in. Like Mary, don't miss this opportunity to say, Jesus is my Lord and King. 
Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this beautiful reminder that you see us. Through this story of Mary and her sweet perfume, we are reminded that you indeed see us, each of us. You see through the doubt and disappointment. You see us in our woundedness. And Lord, as we pray today, perhaps there are one or two or several who are seeing you for the very first time who for the first time are admitting that you are our king, that we need you as Lord and Savior in our lives. God, we pray that you would draw each of us into that understanding that you have died for us, that you love us. And through your death, you have taken on our wounds. You've taken them upon yourself so that we might be made whole. We thank you, Jesus. We pray that you would renew us today. We pray in your holy name. Amen.